Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the Leadership Strategist. Tonight's guest, Certified Executive Coach, Geno's Emotional Intelligence Practitioner, and President of Operation Kickstart, Trevor Blondiel. Hey, what you drink? Okay, so with a podcast show with the name of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership, there are certain places that you have to go in order to legitimize the whiskey element of this podcast. And that place is, is in Louisville, Kentucky. And so that's where we're going today. I've got someone here who is, uh, he was a guest on another show that I'm a part of, uh, where we talked about Think and Grow Rich, which is a book that was written in 1937, and it is the granddaddy of all motivational literature. Uh, And so I do that show on a weekly basis, and every now and then we have guests on there that I feel a special kinship to, and that's what happened here. So I just told Trevor that I had to have him on Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. And so here he is. Trevor, welcome, 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 man. How are you doing? I'm excited, Galen. Anytime to have a talk about leadership and mix in a glass of bourbon is a good day. Yeah, okay. So because you guys in Louisville, you all actually play with bourbon. It's not just whiskey. You guys play with the real bourbon over there. So I've got some actual bourbon that I'm going to drink, but I'm ahead of myself. And my guests and my listeners know that I've got to ask this question. So please forgive me for not asking at the beginning of this conversation. So what you drinking? Four Roses, small batch select. And because it's a special moment getting to talk to Galen. And normally I might be just drinking out of my crystal decanter where I just put the regular four roses in because uh, it is so good as well. Uh, but the small batch select just has that extra wow to it. Yeah. Well, man, I, I approve, man. And I'll tell you, I, I've gotten away from calling anything my everyday because usually when I call something my everyday, it be it, it gets really hard to find. So I've just stopped <laughs> doing I've just stopped doing that. But I, I've given some thought to what I'm going to do today, uh, because this is this is a conversation that I don't have every day with someone who can legitimately talk about whiskey or bourbon, legitimately talk about leadership, uh, and legitimately, I mean, you're you're holding up vinyl of Miles Davis. <laughs> Miles Davis vinyl. So this is going to be a pretty legitimate conversation. So I decided to reach for something that I haven't 
I haven't touched a whole lot. I actually got this from a friend, which kind of makes sense since you were introduced through a friend, through a mutual mm-hmm. friend. Uh, so this is Henry McKenna, 10-year Kentucky straight bottled in bond bourbon whiskey. And this is clocking in at 100 proof. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is the real juice. This is the real juice. So um, let me go ahead and crack this open. Love that sound. Boy, this just a little. It's about that's about a finger. That's about a finger fill there. And um, I'm gonna enjoy this. And I would love for you to use this time to share with my listeners all the things that you're into, because you you've got a pretty deep and exhaustive background. And I just want to give my listeners a sense as to what they are in store for with this conversation. So if you can share just a little bit about uh, what has gone into uh, the Trevor that we're going to be talking to for the next uh, the next few minutes. Well, I'm a Canadian that grew up in, in Ontario and was used to Canadian whiskey. And when I was old enough to go to a bar, it was always a Ryan Coke is pretty much what's answered. A, a Crown Royal, very popular, a Wiser's. And then... I got married, got my first house, and there was a retired individual behind me. He introduced me to scotch. And for the next 18 years of, of working in manufacturing leading plants, uh, listening to lots of different music, and uh, really drank a lot of scotch. And then uh, about 2016, I, I sold my snowblower and I sold my snow tires and started uh, as an independent business. And Ended up living in Louisville, Kentucky, and I fell in love with the culinary, with, with the, the the bourbon scene, and just the kindness of, of people here, and a need for leadership help. So it's just been a, a great transition, and so so many lessons along the way, and and meeting so many people that I would not have met if I didn't venture out. You know, and one of the things I loved about the way you described your background when we met initially is that you know extensive career in manufacturing but you focus on manufacturing and connecting the top to the shop floor and that is such a visual i usually i usually say boardroom to back room Mm. but this shop to the top floor talk a little bit about what that means to those who are not in the spaces that we're in i had to figure out what's the one word problem that we're trying to solve in manufacturing it's It's one of the highest paying industries and it has a below average engagement rate. It's like, well, that's odd. And the problem is disconnect. And what I really learned through a lot of mistakes of my own and thinking about task. And I was just talking to someone the other day in manufacturing and they got asked a pretty controversial question and kind of got into a corner a little bit. And and what they said was if it was this person who had a deeper relationship with, I would have been okay with the question, but I just didn't feel like they got to know me well enough. And we get to know each other and we got to establish that relationship first. And I was a person that was (laughs) running a very successful plan, but I would put on my wall, like, leave your emotions at the door. We have work to do. It's embarrassing to have to say that now, but I, I just didn't know better. And when we know better, we do better. And, and that has 
everything to do and not just, and I get told this all the time, Trevor, it's not just manufacturing. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's my, it is my comfort zone uh, because I, I, I've been there and I've, and I've made the mistakes. And then I've also learned that, man, just by tweaking your approach changes everything. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the, the notion of leave your emotions at the door. That was the definition of, of leadership and management uh, for many, many years, right? So uh, the 1990s, the, the early 2000s, that was how you showed up. And it's, you know, this isn't personal, it's just business. And what we have come to realize is that personal is business because you have people, if your job, if you listen to my conversation with Valerie Jackson, with Miss Valerie Jackson, she says, you know, leadership is only important if you have people in your organization, right? <laughs> D-E-N-I is only important if you have people in your organization that you depend on in order to make things happen. Now, if you're just running bots, if you're just on AI, then yeah, leave your emotions at the door. This is just business. But if you are working with people, people are messy, people are emotional, people have stuff going on prior to walking into your doors. And if you demonstrate that you don't care about those things, you just want their productivity, you're not going to get everything that you might that you might hope to get or might expect to get if you had operated otherwise. So how did that become a revelation to you? Because that's not what the textbooks taught us back in the 90s or the two early 2000s. Defining moment, I'm in my office running major manufacturing plant in Ontario. Naomi walks into my office, who's ex executive assistant for the area, who really runs the plant. And she she walks in and she says, boy, you really pissed those guys off. Kind of stand there staring at me. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just pulled all the leadership in and the engineers. I told them why we needed to do it how we need to do it. I've got lots of leadership training. I know how to speak as a leader. She says, I don't know. She just walks out of my office. I'm like, what's going on here? Have you ever had a truth teller come in and tell you the truth <laughs> you didn't want to hear? So I go on the floor and I talk to Randy. I'm like, Randy, how's it going? He's like, fine. I'm like, okay, how's it going? And he's like, well, we had a great plan to the day and you came in and pulled us all in and talked to us about these cycle times we got to do by the end of the day now. And now everyone's running a different direction. And we really didn't have a lot of input into it. So I pulled everybody back in. And yeah, just by a two-minute conversation, I disrupted hundreds of people for a day. And it was just like, I don't want to be that leader. And thank goodness, Naomi told me. And obviously, we had a relationship where she cared about me enough to tell me that you're not having the impact you, th you think you're having. And we need those people around us to tell us because there's a power of seeing ourselves through someone else's eyes. Wow, that's amazing on so many different levels. Number one, it's amazing that she had enough courage to come to you and tell you the truth because there's a lot of weight that comes along with your title. And, uh, you know, I, I remember when I first got promoted to people leader, and I tell the story often that on Monday, I was an account executive and I was hanging out with the guys and we were at lunch and they were all guys at the time because that was way back in the day, but all guys were hanging out at lunch, just talking about stuff, right? Talking about the stuff that we, that we normally talk about. 
uh, come back from lunch and there's the announcement that I've been promoted to a people leader. I'm going to be managing a, a team in Michigan and I'm going to have 10 direct reports, uh, you know, just kind of talking about all that stuff. Uh, go out to lunch the next day on Tuesday, the exact same group of people. But then all of a sudden, what I said had a different level of weight. And I didn't appreciate that, that, you know, I, I was the same person. I was the same guy. We were talking about the same things. But now when I would make a comment, everyone would pause for, for a beat longer. Because what you say when you are in leadership, when you're in a management role, has weight that you might not anticipate. And sounds like you have been able to create a relationship with that truth teller so that she felt comfortable saying, look, boss, you kind of screwed that one up. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you ensure that you are making it safe for people to tell you the truth. Uh, if you go back to my conversation with Mr. Dave Peacock, he said the day that you become CEO is the last day that people will feel free to tell you the truth. Mm. So how do you create that environment where people continue to feel safe, safe enough to, to tell you the truth? For me, it's, it's remembering that how you show up impacts on how people feel. How you make people feel determines the extent they're going to engage with you. Our intentions do not always land as the perceptions of how we believe. Don't see it from the outside. You see it through your own eyes. And we've all had people that we've worked with that it's like, yeah, that's just the way that person is. And we know they're not really looking for feedback. Uh, so we got to kind of work around that. And there has to be an invitation. You have to be invited to say, hey, I want to let you know that I'm working on listening better and having more dialogue and not just giving direction. So if you can give something specific to someone that you trust and say, this is what I'm working on, I need a little help on it. I know I'm not getting it exactly right, but if you see me, can you let me know? In general, people want to help. Like, And, and when you can have the vulnerability of, and have a title, but be able to go to anyone and just say, or, or, or a group, I always ask, you know, would you be willing to say that in front of your team? And that kind of goes back to the whole Brene Brown philosophies of, you know, you can't have courage without vulnerability. So hmm. you have to make people feel safe enough, like this dude's actually looking for feedback. And then when you get it, <laughs> as uh, some of the best practices, the automatic reply, whatever feedback you get is two words, thank you. <laughs> and if you just remember that, unless you want to ask a deeper question into it, but it's it's not a matter of, oh, well, it was because of this or because of that. And it's kind of like, then all of a sudden you'll never get that feedback again. But if you can just kind of like take it in and just be thankful that this person had the courage to give me some feedback. And once you start doing that, it just becomes a practice. And I just wasn't aware of it until Naomi walked in. Thank goodness. I had she I had given her that permission. Wow. Yeah, I, I had this conversation just earlier today when I was working with one of my coaching clients. Uh, I was I explained to them just what you said that most leaders understand their intentions. Most leaders understand what they intend to do. Very few leaders have a very clear picture of the impact that they have. And it's it's the marriage between intent and impact 
that really allows the informed leader to make adjustments where necessary. You know, how do I how do I change my message so that it's it's getting through the way that I intend for it to rather than saying, well, they just don't get it, <laughs> which is a cop out, right? Absolutely. Because if I'm the if I'm the leader and I'm communicating, it's the, the burden is on the communicator to get the point to get the point across. The fact that they just don't get it <laughs> means that I haven't figured out how to communicate. So yeah, talk, talk a little bit more about how do you how would you recommend other leaders? Cause you, just like I do, you work with other leaders. What are some things that you do to encourage other leaders to, to stay wedded to this marriage between intent and impact? It's gonna be having those relationships around you. And, and, it's, and it's a routine of that intention and impact. So you can't just say it once at a performance review at the beginning of the year and then never bring it up again. It just just like core values need to be part of your daily conversation, your own development needs to be part of that. You know, at, at the end of the conversation, like how'd that land for you? Pulling somebody aside, maybe you you were a little more vocal in that meeting and pulling a colleague aside and say, how'd that land? That relentless pursuit of curiosity of how am I showing up? Am I making improvements? You know, are we seeing a different impact? And and it's it's like what you set your thoughts on becomes your result, right? And if your thoughts are around, man, I really got to get so and so to do this differently. Well, then you're probably not going to make a lot of progress because there's something that you could probably do to show up differently to impact them. And instead thinking, well, why I had a, a general manager and he was frustrated with his supervisor of maintenance on the afternoon because of some downtime. And he's like, yeah, I said, so, so how, how you, how, how are you managing this? He said, yeah, I'm calling him every hour and I ask him why it's down and who, what kind of help is he getting? And I said, man, with all those questions, probably seems like he's maybe feels like he's going to get fired. He says, yeah, maybe that'll kind of motivate him. And I said, okay, hold on. Let's have a conversation here around how you're impacting maybe their behavior. Because when you talk about they seem to be making more mistakes, maybe you're partly responsible for that. There's a, there's a couple of things in there that um, I just really, really enjoy. It's this idea of, I, I talk a lot about this idea of have to versus want to. And any of us can do anything that we have to do, right? There are all kinds of stories about, you know, mothers lifting cars to save their babies because they have to. And when you get to a certain level of leadership, if you become a manager, yeah, there's a certain protection against insubordination that's out there, right? You, you tell someone to do that, to, to do something, chances are very good that they're gonna give their best effort to make that happen. However, if you can tap into what they want to do, not only will you get the three or four things that you really think that you need to have, you're gonna get three or four things that they just really wanted to offer because it's consistent with who they are. You know, one of the switches that I had to make when I was training salespeople is your job as a salesperson is not to convince and persuade a customer to buy. Your job as a salesperson is to figure out why they want to buy and how do you package up what you're, what you're trying to do in a way that makes it easy for them to buy from you. 
I think the same thing applies for leadership. How can we tap into people's want to? How can we make what we need consistent with what they're trying to do and how they're trying to show up as opposed to leveraging, as you said in that example, leveraging our position power to make them do things? I, I don't know if you've got any thoughts around how do you tap into you know, the want to that everyone has if we do the work to try to figure out what that is versus trying to make people do things. That would go back to, I call it dialogue. Dialogue versus monologue. So sometimes we feel that if we just ask the person, like, you know, what do you want to contribute here? And tell me what good looks like for you. And that's a one-way conversation, really, right? You're just asking that person to kind of open up. It's got to be a two-way conversation of like, this is how I'm kind of feeling. Maybe these are some ideas that I'm trying to contribute to. What are you trying to contribute? And when you share your own story, that builds trust. Because what is, we talk about authenticity and, and it's it's showing who you are, and which, which includes what's maybe takes courage to say that, hey, I, I, I feel like I'm good at this. I feel like I'm struggling at this a little bit. Where are you at on that? And then by having that conversation, that person's going to feel cared for. And when I feel cared for, I can express my needs more because I feel safer to do that. Because otherwise, I may have an intention to tell you what you want to hear because <laughs> I know it fits. I see it's a round hole, so I'm trying to be round so I can fit in there. But it's like, no, no, no. Like uh, Sometimes I feel like I don't fit. And what is that right spot? And that that dialogue can create something that wasn't there in either one of you before, but because you have that diversity of thought and you kind of talk that through and you are okay talking about some emotions, well, wow, all of a sudden we can unpack something we didn't know it was there. Yeah. It, it, you know, this whole idea of uh, making people feel safe, safe enough to tell you the truth, that seems so simple. But yet it is really, really hard. And to your point, you use the word courage several times. Why does it take such courage for us to demonstrate that we are whole people working with whole people, trying to do things that people do? Why is that such a challenge for everyone, do you think? I know that I was doing a group facilitation on, it was a leadership group, it was manufacturing plan, it was an owner in their own group. And afterwards... The owner came up to me and says, you know, you talked about some of your struggles with your dad and, and your son. And I used some examples of how I overcame some real struggles, like real deep family. And I didn't plan it. I just had that conversation. And he said, you know, I think everybody connected with you at a different level. They didn't look at you as like that emotional intelligence trainer, coach, expert guy, just like us. And you're looking to do better at work and your relationships and your home and you're just telling your stories and it just, it changed that. So I, I believe that just being real, right. And the fact of I'm just like you and we're in this together. Yeah. You know, you, you, uh, you shared with me at the top of our conversation, uh, I'm kind of jealous of your Miles Davis greatest hits on vinyl, no less. I'm a uh, boy. And you know, one of the things that Miles Davis said that really endeared him to me, obviously after he had passed, I read this, he said that sometimes you have to play a long time 
to learn how to play like yourself. How, how does that resonate with you? That's hard because I spent a lot of years trying to be what I thought others wanted me to look like. And that's hard to let go of because we have this image of what we should be doing. And letting go of that identity, that bravado of like, I can run a manufacturing plan. I can take that next role. I can be the vice president. And just allowing yourself to be who you are because trying to be like anyone else is a waste of who you are. And we all have a different impact. And when you can get in that spot where it's kind of like, you know what, I'm comfortable in this role. And and, and for a while, I was like trying to push to the next level. And I had a boss tell me, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And it's not maybe what you wanted. So uh, I like the, uh, the song, So What? And it's just the horns and just kind of like that whole album just drives you more to like, you can just feel the grounding of, of who you are. And I, I actually, in transparency, I was in Kearney, Nebraska, and I found this indie record shop, and I had just listened to the first episode of your podcast, and I went out and bought that album. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, that's the impact that this podcast will have on you. You know, I, I get people all the time who call me or contact me or reach out to my team and say, wow, I just heard an episode with whoever your guest was, and how can I be part of that conversation? So I am just so honored that you would take that route and say, yes, let's let's have this conversation, namely because we talked about our connections and how you and I have similar interests and sim similar things that we talk about for work. But I would love to get your take on this metaphor that I've been building because as I've said before, you know, I like all three whiskey, jazz and leadership, literally the metaphor. I have really found new definitions by asking my guests to uh, explain their interpretation of that metaphor. So the metaphor for whiskey is doing what you enjoy with people you enjoy it with, regardless of what others might think, uh, because others just don't get it right. <laughs> whatever, that, whatever, whatever that might be. The metaphor of jazz is how do you get from where you are to where you want to be, even in the absence of sheet music? You still have to get there. You have to you have to get there on time. You have to get there in key. And since this is your life we're talking about, you you might as well have fun and make it make it sound nice too. And the the metaphor for uh, leadership is this idea that nothing happens until someone does something. Someone has to make a decision that this thing is going to happen. It's going to happen differently. It's going to happen the same, but it's going to happen. And as I'm fond of saying, nobody eats unless somebody kills something. So th those are my metaphors. How does that work with your experience of life? And in particular, your experience in the work that you do, this metaphor of whiskey, jazz, and leadership? When I think of the, of the whiskey, especially being the Canadian going to Louisville and going through the transitions of the, of the different, really different types of whiskeys, there's always good dialogue around sharing bread, sharing a drink. And, you know, whether that's tea or whether that's a whiskey, it's kind of getting into that more relaxed environment. It's getting into a coffee shop. And the gap for me always is that disconnect. And it comes back to dialogue 
And whiskey kind of gives that whole foundation of, hey, we're not in a race. You got to go slow to go fast. And I used to be like, you know, how fast can I just kind of get to know Galen so then I can ask him this question or we can get and, and complete this task. And it takes many years to realize that if you take the time and just, you know, that I got the four roses, four pack of the ice balls and the ice ball is really thick, right? So that it slowly melts. So it doesn't water down the drink. That's kind of like how dialogue works and conversations, right? It's not about how quick can you get a connection? It's just like, take your time, be curious, ask questions about that. And then the the jazz, I'm an eighties hairband dude. (laughs) So I was going fast on Motley Crue and Kiss. And then as I, I got older, I got into country when I moved to Louisville and, and definitely got an appreciation there. And my dad definitely played, you know, the Muddy Waters and, and the different types of wide range of music that he had. But the jazz is really grounding. Like it's just grounding. Like sometimes I don't want Kiss on, right? I don't want to rock and roll all night. I just want to kind of like chill out, ground. And you feel Miles Davis. You feel it. And and that's that kind of for the leadership aspect. If you want to connect with people, man, they got to be able to feel you before you think you can connect and get to know them. And and that's what jazz does for me. And then the leadership is always going to come back to, I don't care what you know until I know how much you care. And we can't go back in time and say, well, I wish I would have had this. I'm just grateful that today I can really understand that how, how our self-awareness is and and how we can kind of connect to our emotions and and label it. And instead of putting on some silence or a rebuttal, you can just say, I feel frustrated in this conversation. Can we talk about that? And that's just kind of that evolution of of leadership. And that's maybe a clunky way. I don't say it as as smooth, Galen, but that's just from, from what I feel. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guest and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.